When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts. We're part of the Heroes Podcast Network. We are your weekly or bi-weekly Star Trek podcast. We discuss all things from episodes to the new shows coming up, comic books, games, and such. I'm one of your regular hosts, Greg Bosco, and with me as always is the very fine Captain Derek. Say hello, buddy. <laughs> hey, Greg. Good to be back. And you're not too bad yourself, you know? Uh, I think I'm the tolerable one. I think you're the effective one. It's a good balancing factor we have. Well, you definitely have better hair than I do. Well, I mean, I did cut all of it off, so it's slowly coming back now. But, <laughs> so, and it's it's good to be back. We're, we're This week, we're still continuing our prepping for Picard series, because the Picard show is rapidly, uh, it's rapidly coming upon us. It's not that far away in the future, is it? Less than a month. I can't believe it. And I'm... Even today, there is some more news about kind of like a Picard prequel being released a little bit. Well, there's there's comic books. There's a, a, a basically it's a countdown kind of style comic book like they did for uh, some of the movies, the Kelvin timeline movies. And um, it's supposed to be very good. I have not gotten over to my local store to pick that up yet. I um, I'm a solid two years behind on comic books right now, so. But it's supposed to be very good. There's also several novels that are coming out that are prequels um, or midquels, I guess, that take place between Nemesis um, and the Picard series. So those are all things that are out and coming out soon that you could read as as extra material. Well, and let's be real. We've talked about this before. It's kind of hard to keep up with comics unless you are absolutely dedicated to doing so. Well, and there's just a lot of really good ones for Star Trek right now. You know, aside from the ongoing stuff, there's been a lot of really cool Mirror Universe stories. Voyager even got some Mirror Universe stuff, which is something that I'm really excited to read. Because uh, Voyager never got any Mirror Universe episodes. Um, neither did TNG, right? But it, it, it got yesterday's Enterprise, which is a little close. And then, um, but DS9, Enterprise, they, they got Mirror Universe stuff. Of course, Discovery did as well. So, um I'm looking forward to reading some of that stuff. But yeah, we have um, less than a month, and we have to finish up today. We're finishing up our Season 6 episodes. This is Part 2 of Season 6 of TNG. And then next week, we will do our Season 7, uh, which is uh, uh, Gambit, Parts 1 and 2, and then All Good Things, the finale of TNG. Uh, we've got a lot of good episodes this week and next week, so I'm... I'm kind of I'm pretty pumped to talk about anything anything about season six and seven next generation is always high on my list. Yeah, there's some really good stuff in there. I mean, a lot of episodes that just didn't make the cut. You know, I I picked 20 episodes for uh, prepping for Picard in my top 20 quintessential Picard episode article out on heroespodcast.com. And a lot of them are two parters. So I took the 20 top 20 thing very loosely. Um, And it's still I still couldn't get everything on the list. You know, just couldn't do it. Are we going to find a way to squeeze uh, Sub Rosa into this? Oh, jeez. Uh, no. No. Oh, uh, I know. It's... Just, it, we'll have to do a Prepping for Beverly uh, series at some point. <laughs> Oof. Anyways, let's, let's not talk on, about a depressing topic right now. Let's continue with uh, the four episodes today we're going to be talking about. Tapestry, Lessons, 
Starship Mine, and The Chase. And The Chase is my favorite of these four. I mean, it's close oh. with Tapestry. Okay, that's interesting. That's interesting. Well, we will definitely get to that. Um, the interesting thing, I didn't even realize this really when I put the list together, but um, Starship Mine, Lessons, and The Chase are actually back-to-back episodes. Yeah, it, but they were... Which is kind of... It, it's kind of it's cool. It's unique because Picard was so heavily featured in those three. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so Tapestry is the first one chronologically on our list. It's um, season six, episode fifteen, which aired in mid February of nineteen ninety three. Um, Tapestry, I guess, to kind of kick things off, is is one of my absolute favorite episodes of Star Trek, not just TNG. Um, and so I've always really loved this one quite a bit. And I'm not sure really where to start. Maybe just a, a quick summary of it is this episode is kind of, um, oh, wh- wh- which Chris- Christmas movie is it? Um, it's a wonderful life, I believe. Right. It's Picard wishing he had done things differently and what his life would have been. Right. So, uh, he, he, the episode kicks off with him basically dying on the operating table from an injury and Q showing him, giving him an opportunity to change an event from his life. When Picard was younger, as hard as it may be to believe, he was a bit rowdy and cocky and got into a fight with a few Nausicans and was stabbed through the heart and now has an artificial heart. And Q's giving him a chance to avoid that confrontation because if he had a normal heart, then this weapon would not have disrupted his artificial one, causing him to to die. Um, Greg, what are your thoughts on this one? I mean, Tapestry, even though I the chase wins out by like 0.1%, like 1.1% to me, um, Tapestry is an amazing episode with beautiful performances by, you know, Q, Picard, the supporting cast and characters. And it's fun because everybody, the way the episode is tailored, with wanting to go back and make changes, everybody's had those thoughts. You know, it's one of the most common questions in interviews or even psychological examinations. If you could go tell your 15, 20-year-old self something, what would you tell them? And that's what this episode's about. And it's amazing how one little event changing, changing one thing can have ripple effects down the entire line for Picard's life. And that's what this episode discusses is he ends up becoming the man that he doesn't like even though he thought he might. Yeah. I mean, that's a great way of, of putting it all together. And it, this episode's always hit home for me big time because, you know, I, I'm, I tell people I'm very good at making a lot of mistakes. I just don't repeat them. I just learn how to make new ones. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of things I look back on, like, for example, being academically dismissed from my college the first after my freshman year. I wonder what things would have been like if I had taken that year seriously and, you know, gone to class. Um, you know, so stay in school, kids. But, you know, what what would be different in my life? Would I, you know, be with my wife? Would I be in this house? Would I have my job and, you know, my dog and all those types of things? How would it be different? And this episode shows that you never know. It's kind of a butterfly effect kind of situation. Um, but we have Q, of course, to to play around with the rules of time a bit and ensure to Picard that he is the only one who will be impacted. Everybody else is going to be just fine. You know, the Enterprise will be fine. The Federation will be fine. It's just him that will be displaced. And that, of course, there's some real-life reasons for that, so you can actually have the cast involved in this episode. <laughs> um, but I I really like seeing the effects of the change, you know, which comes later in the episode. So I don't want to skip too far ahead, but what did you think of his early days in the Academy with his friends, um, you know, Marta and Corey? Well, I liked it because it felt real. And the other part about this that I love so much is this Picard with his time in the Academy where he's a little brazen, a little arrogant, a little, I mean, pretty outgoing with the ladies. I mean, he's like another version of Riker almost at this point, (laughs) but If you also, the other thing I love about this episode is it brings a lot of Star Trek nemesis into question with the way they had like young Picard shown in that movie compared to, I mean, only in the one image, but of course he's bald in the picture in the movie. And then in his young, the young Picard in this has hair and the way he interacts with people and the way he's direct and blunt and 
Uh, it's just, he still has those tendencies even when he's older, but he's more mature about how he processes them. But even an older, more mature Picard can still be pretty direct and brazen when he wants. He just tempers it very well. And you can see that with the young Picard and the way he interacts with his friends and such. And I think it's an important distinction, one that even Picard has to learn in this episode, that just because he did reckless things in his youth that he may be embarrassed about now doesn't mean he still doesn't take reckless action when his more experienced mature self sees fit i mean times that he's risked his life or risked the enterprise to save other people to do to do ethically what he thought was right you know and those things could still be seen as reckless or or risky things but he's doing it now with experience behind him and he's doing it now to to help others right to to do the moral ethical thing rather than picking fights with nausicans um i uh i i like this part of the episode a lot too i do think it's kind of it's a little telegraph the whole kind of love interest with marta um and kind of the way that goes down is not particularly surprising you know, knowing, of course, that, you know, she's she's going to end up on her own ship, different from him and all those types of things. But I liked the idea that she she always had some kind of interest in him, but he was too immature. Right. And now that he brings back with him this experience and this maturity that now she sees the kind of guy he could be, you know, that that then she actually has legitimate interest in him yeah and like you just like like you said though even uh the whole concept of picard basically picking a fight with three nausicans which is not like you know a fight that most people would want and right. that says a lot about young picard and the whole end result is the fight and him getting stabbed and how the way it plays out with the rest of the episode and, you know we could spend four hours of talking about this episode alone but the genesis of, of what, what's happening is Picard evaluating his past decisions. And when he changes the past, you know, after Q assures him that, yeah, like you said, it won't impact anybody else. When Picard chooses to change the past and stop the fight from happening, it he realizes moving forward he it, he doesn't like the end result of what he is. What, he ends up working in, like, astrophysics or something like that? Uh, yeah, yeah, he's, I mean, he's, now, okay, his rank is a little confusing in this episode, because they say that he's a, a, um, an ensign at one point, but then they call him a lieutenant at another point, like, Riker calls him a lieutenant, but he's an ensign junior grade when we're first introduced to him, um, but either way, the point is supposed to be that he hasn't really gotten very far in his career, because, and this is the key, is that he took chances. He took risks. And while maybe they weren't always the the best decision, that that character trait of taking risks, of pushing forward with things, allowed him to move up in the ranks and eventually take command of the Stargazer, which led to the Enterprise. And so when you cut ahead to this future and seeing him in the blue uniform, like that was a very limited action figure. And I really want that action figure if anybody out there has one. We can talk, uh, but, um, you know, the idea that that event in his life was a turning point for him, I think is significant. It was a near-death experience, and that near-death experience got him an artificial heart and showed him his toughness, what he could endure, what he could go through, and that taking a risk wasn't going to end everything, that he could still move forward from that. And he and that's what he does. So when he avoids that whole experience, he begins to play it too safe. You know, you look at all the captains that we know, and the only play it safe captain that comes to mind is the captain of the Grissom in Star Trek Three. <laughs> and it didn't go well for him, did it? <laughs> right? Like we make fun of him like the whole time. You know? We're gonna do it all by the book, you know? And none of our captains that you know, lead our shows are by the book captains. None of them are. Some might be a little more loose with regulations than others, but they will all break the rules when they think it's the right thing to do. And that's who Picard is, right? When you see Picard in, in Insurrection, for example, later on down the road, when he stands up 
to the Sona to save the Baku. You know, that is not what the Ensign Picard would do. That's what our Captain Picard would do. Yeah, and that's probably my my one major gripe with this episode is when it shows the future and it's like 30 years of him being an ensign slash lieutenant, it's almost dejecting to think that Picard would just stay 20 to 30 years in Starfleet doing mind-numbing jobs. Maybe they're important, but for 30 years as an ensign or a lieutenant, I mean, at this point, he's he's already beat Harry Kim for longest to get promoted. <laughs> well, I, I think... I mean, there's a couple different ways this this can be taken too, because it depends what type of person you are. Um, these are all jobs that have to be done. They're needed jobs. They're important jobs, or they wouldn't be there, right? This job would not exist on the Federation flagship if it wasn't required. Um, but some people are happy in those jobs. Some people like doing those jobs. They enjoy those tasks for whatever reason. And in our world, it's a work life balance, or it's an interest in the material, or whatever it is. But that's not who Picard is. Everybody's different. So if you're out there and that's the kind of job that you love, then you made the right decisions for you. Picard isn't that type of person, though. Picard is, you know, the 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 diplomat of diplomats commanding the flagship of the Federation. And that's not the average person. And I that think it's an the, important distinction the, to make. Yeah, because the average person doesn't become captain of the Enterprise. Right. And I, th- I think that's important, right? As much as I would like to be <laughs> the captain of the Enterprise, I think I'm probably closer to the average person than, than I am to Picard. As I mean, you could argue that might make me. Yeah, you can argue that for the five minutes he's on screen in, in Generations, Captain John Harriman of the Enterprise B is a very average captain. But <laughs> Rachel Garrett of the Enterprise C in Yesterday's Enterprise is anything but average. She's obviously a fierce, strong leader and a warrior. Absolutely. Um, now, there's there's some fun stuff in this episode I don't want to overlook either, because while this episode is clearly very important to defining the character and the personality of Picard, there's Q. And the Q-Picard relationship is one of my favorite things in Star Trek. And we get a lot of Q in this episode and a lot of one-on-one time with him and Picard. You know, there's the iconic scene of the two of them in bed together uh, the night after Picard supposedly sleeps with Marta. Um, you know, he wakes up next to uh, to Q and it's just a wonderful scene. You know, you've got Q delivering the flowers uh, a little bit earlier on uh, to interrupt the two of them. And he's the bartender for a bit. I The dynamic is really wonderful. And I think this episode's interactions between Q and Picard helps set up the finale for the show. Oh, absolutely. And it reinforces the whole concept that Q has had a greater interest in Picard and humans. He's been saying it the whole time, but this episode really kind of proves it. Yeah, I mean, Q's not just going around doing this for anybody. He's doing it for Jean-Luc because he likes Jean-Luc. He's intrigued by him. He finds him fascinating and interesting and compelling. And that's why he's willing to to do these things. Because maybe Q knows. Maybe Q knows that the events in All Good Things are going to occur. And Picard has to be the one to stop it. And he needs Picard to be Picard. To not regret who he is and regret the decisions that he's made. Because if Tapestry does anything at all, it cements to Picard, who he is. That's absolutely correct. And even the way the episode ends with him and Riker talking and reminiscing and, you know, Riker. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Suggesting he would love to have met that Picard and. The one that would fight the Nausicans and that leads to another story of that Picard had and dealing with Nausicans again. And it just, the episode with him and the relationship with Q and the relationship with the rest of the Enterprise staff, or officers, excuse me, it's just, it's a beautiful Picard episode. Well, and I think that this this also informs the chase that we'll get to at the end of our epi- of our talk today. And that's his back and forth about whether or not he should have been an archaeologist. And, um some of the things he says when he knows to turn down his professor, I think stem from this episode, which is only a few episodes before this, that there's this cementing of who he is and the decisions that he's made in his life have led him to exactly where he wants to be. And that's a good transition point to, to kind of move forward for the next episode on our list. Cause we it. could spend a lot of time talking about tapestry, but lessons which is an well, episode. I think Starship, that, Starship Mine is next. I, I might yeah, have to you out of order. Um, no, no, Starship Mine is next. Um, I, I said the wrong one when I was reading my notes. But Starship Mine is another reminder of when Picard takes actions, he doesn't go at it half-assed. He is all <laughs> in. Yes. Um, I like to call Starship Mine the diehard of Star Trek. It's uh, it is diehard of Star Trek, it, without a doubt. Um, and uh, it's it's uh, another time where Tim Russ shows up as not Tuvok, um, which is which is fun. But uh, yeah, so this one I put this one on the list simply because it shows his action side. I, Star Trek: First Contact gets a lot of flack, as does Insurrection following it, uh, for being kind of making Picard an action hero. But he kind of starts that off here in Starship Mind, don't you think? He does, but it's also, you know, I know people kind of complain about the action stuff in Star Trek, but at the same time, Picard has seen some shit in his career. And he's been in <laughs> battles, and he's been in fights, and he's been in combat. It's not that un- unheard of for a Starfleet officer, even a captain, to be involved in, in fights. Yeah, I mean, Nemesis... He's kind of fighting a monster, so that, that's one thing. While Riker's fighting a monster. But Picard's been in combat many times. This isn't, like, new. That's fair. That's definitely fair. So this episode sees the Enterprise is uh, getting cleaned, essentially, from these beta waves that they pick up uh, during warp travel. Um, and it's a, it's a slow scan that goes across a ship. It takes a couple of hours, it seems. And everyone's supposed to be off the ship because it kills organic life. And while the crew is supposed to be off the ship, a group of, I guess, mercenaries, because they're not terrorists. They're going to sell stuff to, to would-be terrorists, I assume. Uh, these mercenaries are trying to steal trilithium, which is a waste byproduct of dilithium from the Enterprise. And Picard ends up stuck on board when he goes back to get his horse riding saddle. Uh, only Picard <laughs> would have an actual horse saddle, a real one, just in his quarters at any given time. I love it, though, because it really informs generations when the two, you know, Picard and Kirk are both riding together because they, they could. They, they could ride, you know, and it was just funny. Um, I always like that, but... But yes, yeah, so this episode's a very, very Picard-centric episode. The rest of the crew is essentially down on the planet at the lamest reception I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> it's but, so lame that everybody's purposely trying to avoid the host. And apparently uh, he's got the horrible reputation of just nonstop small talk. Well, Which like, is probably then, why like, he got assigned to this outpost in the first place. <laughs> oh, man, you're probably right. And then like when Data's trying to to kind of like riff off of that and Riker puts the two of them together it is the funniest freaking thing man it's because it would never end because data's not going to get tired of it 
Yeah, he's not going to get tired of it, and the commander's going to just keep enjoying it um, because he doesn't get a chance to talk to a lot of people. So he's going to, you know, what Commander Hutchinson, he's just going to enjoy it as much as he can. I will say, I feel like it was kind of shitty to kill him. I was surprised. I remember watching. I was surprised as hell that he that, he, that they killed him. It just seemed kind of unnecessary because he shot with the same kind of weapon that Jordy shot with, supposedly at about the same range. They're both kind of shot in the chest, and Hutchinson dies, and it just seems like like it doesn't have any emotional emotional weight to it because we don't really know him and. It, his death is off screen, but at the same time, it's just, it's kind of crappy because he's this new guy. He's a nice guy. He's well-meaning, but he's just kind of lonely and they just kind of kill him off very unceremoniously. Well, yeah, especially when they've made the first part of the episode just entirely about making fun of him. Exactly. You know, so that just kind of seemed kind of crappy. I felt like maybe they could have done something to to write him into being a, a a cooler character a bit. I don't know. But but anyway, focusing on Picard. So Picard is trapped on the Enterprise. Um, the main computer's down. He can't use phasers. They quickly kind of uh, explain away why you can't use energy weapons because of the, uh, the beta waves. And uh, he has to, like, he goes in the wharf's quarters and breaks out a crossbow, I guess a Klingon crossbow, and makes exploding arrows. <laughs> yeah, so this this episode is half diehard, a little bit of Rambo thrown in. Seriously, and it's just, it's just really great that he's got, like, this cool crossbow, and then he's got the little welding gun that they kind of use as a weapon, um, which he threatens Tim Russ with. Um, I'm drawing a blank on Tim Russ's, uh, uh Devore. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just kind of cool to see this kind of like guerrilla tactics that Picard has to come up with while, you know, he's on a 24th century starship, you know? I mean, but, nobody knows that ship probably as good as him. I mean, you could argue Data and LaForge do, of course, but if you're going to fight somebody who can know the ship and knows where to hide and what to do. Picard would be a pretty devastating enemy. Oh, I agree. Um, but when he does get caught, I do really like that he claims he's Mott the Barber. Because... because But Mott is a barber on the Enterprise. He's a Bolian. And it's just it's a really funny little like throwaway line that's a great reference to a real character that we very rarely get to see. Um... But they just kind of accept it. They're like, okay, Barber. Like, would you have believed him? Uh, probably, like, realistically, no. So the last person on the ship is the Barber? I mean, <laughs> maybe. Maybe kind of. But I don't know. I'll be, but it's funny because they kind of have access to the computer systems. They kind of don't. Because you think, you know, a 30-second Google search on the Enterprise-D, they're like, wait a second. This guy's the captain. Well, you'd think if they were stealing something as dangerous and coveted and illegal as Trilithium from the flagship, that they would at least know who the captain of the ship was. I mean, if you go back to the original series, every alien, doesn't matter how big or how important or how unimportant, knew who Kirk was. Right? Every alien. But, like, it's just, even if they didn't know he was the captain, to just believe that he's the barber, I just, I don't know. That... That seemed a little gullible for me, but I mean, whatever, just roll with it. So they don't, they don't like pat him down or anything. So he's still got the little welding gun that he uses on that Star Wars little data port. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The little data port. Right. Like where, that R2 would plug into. Um, and he uses that to set off some kind of alarm system. I'm not entirely sure exactly how that worked, but it was clever, I guess. It was definitely clever. I it, Again, it kind of asks the question of what exactly are those ports for? Because we never ever see them ever in use ever again. <laughs> it's, it's the whole first contact scenario of, you know, when they're shooting for the little plasma ducks with the green plasma that can liquefy flesh. and mm-hmm. ever, Like, you don't really think about it, but then you're like, why are those things even puncturable? Like, why, <laughs> why is that a good idea? <laughs> right? Like, the whole crew is organic. Like, what are you going to do? 
no, I'm totally you got, with you. You got Ensign's Meyer and Bosco on day one driving a forklift, and we crash into those things. We're like, oh, crap. <laughs> oh, man. And, like, it's it's positioned in a really weird spot. Like, it's it's near the ground. It's only above the ground, like, four or five inches. You know, so perfect for someone who's sitting down, I guess, in the middle of engineering. Yeah. <laughs> for sitting down only, yep. You know, and so, like, I don't know. I would buy if, like, that's what they hook up the modern vacuums to or whatever. Um, or it's, like, a, a power port or something. And so, like, maybe if it's a power port, he overloaded it with the welder, and that's what caused the alarm to go off. Okay, I, I actually, I have a solution. Okay. That's where the, the modern Star Trek Roombas go to repower. <laughs> right? <laughs> Because, like, Ray, Ray made a good point. We were watching, um, it was one of these episodes. Oh, it was Lessons. And Beverly and Picard are eating, and then they, like, get up to go to the, the recital. And they just leave everything there, their food and everything. And Ray's like, so who's going to clean that up? <laughs> <laughs> they never really talked about that in Star Trek at all, is who's, who's responsible for cleaning anything. Right? And I was like, I mean, I guess they come back and get it, right? Like, <laughs> It's still there um, five hours later. But anyway, so Picard, you know, he sets off the alarm, he blows up the, the or damages the tank that's going to hold the trilithium safe, and runs off. And then the the mercenaries, of course, come up with a way to still move the trilithium. Um, and they're fighting their way through the ship, trying to get the 10 forward, because it's going to be the last place, you know, where this is touched. And so you keep seeing, it's, it's a lot of focusing on Picard's... Um, logical thinking his critical thinking right of you know well, where would i go in this scenario and what can i use without these technologies available kind of his resourcefulness um and it really leads into you know who he is in some of these movies you know the way he is in insurrection is the same that he is in this episode well yeah and one of the most common criticisms of insurrection is it may not be a great star trek movie but it makes for a good star trek episode because it does feel like an episode, and it's there's a lot of throwbacks from Picard to his actions in some of these episodes. Absolutely, um, and you know, Insurrection's got its own problems, of course. But uh, what are you going to do? Um, so yeah, so they they fight a little bit, and they get to, to they finally get to ten forward. And I love that he's like set up traps, kind of like Predator style. Um, <laughs> Right. And so he's got the lines on the carpet and yeah, they're, they've, they're laced with gunpowders. Um, I assume some super futuristic version of it. Um, and he's able to take the little safety thing off the canister. Now I get why he does that because he would rather blow up the ship than let these mercenaries steal the trilithium. And I respect that. So my problem isn't with that. My problem is how could it have survived transport? Ah, uh, yeah, especially when they comment on how important that little stabilizer is. Right? Like, if they're worried about walking it through a ship, you know, transport, so many things can't be transported because they're volatile. You know, it's happened on the show where they have to bring something over by shuttle because it's too volatile for the transporters. I would think trilithium would be on that list. Um, but I guess for the sake of the story, they had to get it off the ship. Yeah, which is something that Star Trek's had problems with for every series, is some of the times the plot needs a little bit of outside help. Yeah, they kind of wrote themselves into a bit of a corner, it felt like. But, you know. But it's fun, and, you know, so they, they get off the ship, the beam is still coming, right? And Picard's, like, trying to talk to the planet. And meanwhile, every you know everything going on down at the, the planet's been... You know, not particularly exciting. Uh, Riker gets knocked out, um, trying to cause a distraction because they can use Jordy's visor to admit a high frequency aud- audible sound uh, that will render everybody but Data unconscious. Yeah, and I don't um, even want to talk about that because it's still just <laughs> contrived. <laughs> yeah, Which I get like. It. Well, they do a lot of things with Jordy's visor over the years. Like in Generations, you know, the Klingons, uh, well, not the Klingons, but Sauron, uh, Sauron hacks it. Um, so that way they can, you know, spy on him and stuff and like whatever. Um, but I don't know why something that's designed 100% for visual 
purposes would be able to emit a loud enough frequency that would impact the entire room. Well, yeah, because they do so many things with Jordy's visor over the show and movies that at some point, I think there's even a comment that Data makes in an episode of, shouldn't everybody have a visor or to, like implant eyes if they're so effective? Well, yeah, that, that early on, they, they make a comment about why that isn't a requirement to like enhance officers. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so they do that. Everyone's unconscious. Data saves the day. Um, and they get Picard, they stop the, uh, the sweep before Picard gets, I guess, vaporized. Um, at least like two, two people die, right? Tim Russ's character, I guess, gets enveloped by the, the sweep. Um, and then the main, the main mercenary, um, uh, Kelsey, she shoots the other guy, um, can't remember the other guy's name but the she shoots the other guy right just kills him which i thought was just like that's super cold-blooded i don't know if like i wonder if that was the plan the entire time was like to kill off most of the team to pull a uh dark knight and have like when the joker kills all the people helping rob the bank and that's kind of what happens here yeah exactly like that right like was that originally part of the plan or did she start to do that because it went off the rails i don't know yeah i don't know but and apparently death by Baryon is not a good way to go. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Baryon. Sorry, I've been saying beta. Baryon. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, who knows? Star Trek linguistics. No, no, you're right. It was the Baryon sweep. You're totally right. I, I just blanked on it. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. Is there anything else you want to touch on for Starship Mine? Well, the boxing into a corner with the trilithium is actually a good way of describing lessons which i think is a great episode but the whole time the episode is happening you can already tell that the plot is backed into a corner because of the connection picard develops for another officer shall we say no i think you're absolutely right so let's do this then let's let's take a quick break and when we come back why don't you elaborate on that recently on the heroes podcast network echo station well what's the main what's the main planet that indoor the forest moon of Endor. It's a moon. So it's there's a major planet, obviously, that it... Is the forest moon of Endor? Is Endor the actual planet, then? See, th- isn't that confusing? <laughs> yes. Is it the forest moon of the planet Endor, or is it the forest moon called Endor? Kaiju Curry House. It got to the point where he started climbing the Empire State Building, and my mom is like, he's not gonna die, is he? <laughs> oh no... My mom doesn't know shit about these films. But anyways, it was just like, Mom, this doesn't end well for Kong. And she's just like, I can't watch the rest of this. Turn it off. I'm like, you can't get to this point in Peter Jackson's King Kong two hours and like whatever many minutes later and not watch the end. Screen heroes. The nipples just were confusing to me because they just... (laughs) They just make no sense. That is our clip, by the way. Uh, uh, but I mean, male nipples are kind of confusing anyway. So. Right? Like, well, they serve true. zero that's purpose. True. Do you think that was the point he was trying to make? <laughs> it's a much deeper message, yes. <laughs> is Batman and Robin a heavily An allegory? social allegory? Yeah. <laughs> Subscribe today at heroespodcast.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Podcast Addict, and more. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we are back after that little break, so we could uh, slide a promo in there. We're going to continue talking about our Prepping for Picard series. Uh, This time we're talking about the episode of Lessons, which is an episode lots of people don't seem to remember. But everybody remembers this is the episode where Picard essentially had a girlfriend. And Mm -hmm. that was a big deal, because there's for years people were kind of, you know, were Picard and Crusher going to be a thing? And in this episode... He meets another senior officer on the ship, and they. I do like how the relationship develops very realistically, very organic. It's not fake. No, it's it's very good, and you know because she's an, a 
kind of a one-off character, right? Uh, Commander Darren, you know, you, you kind of have an idea of where things are going just from that per- the real-world perspective. But it is; it's really believable. You know, she's um, she's strong and opinionated and direct, and you know, she's not like scared or or uh, or intimidated by authority or anything like that. And Picard respects all of that. And then he finds out that she's a musician, very talented musician. Um, and we learn that after the events of the inner light, he has continued to study music as well. And while it's very private, he's becoming incredibly knowledgeable about it. And this is something that they bond over. It's really pretty sweet. Yeah. They bond over it. Cause she also is very much into music as well. Uh, she has a certain passion to her about the stuff she loves, whether it's her career or her hobbies that you can tell Picard is immediately attracted to, which I understand. I mean, confidence is a very attractive attribute to most people. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the the fact that the, the two of them could bond over the music was kind of the main focus of the episode here. And it was kind of cool because you get to see an extension of the inner light of, um, you know, what he went through. It, he, it's, it's, it's shown that he doesn't really talk about that with other people, you know, I'm sure Deanna Troy knows, right. And and everything, but maybe, maybe Beverly knows, but he's very private about this. And he wants, he finally tells her everything, you know, that, that he went through and it's difficult for him to do that. Um, but they, he plays the flute, he breaks out the flute a couple of times and they play that together. And, um, it's really neat to see him bond over something like that because, to your point about his love interests before this, you know, there was the, the will they won't they with Beverly. And then there was Vosh. Right. And kind of Marta, I guess in tapestry. And that's, that's really all we know. You know, that's all we really get. It's extremely limited from what we've seen in the past. And it's like you said, the will they won't they with Beverly. It's by season six. It's uh, it's just become almost like a, Today, it would be a meme. It would literally be a meme from the show of the two forbidden love that also act like they don't really care if they're in love. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a cool episode. You get to see Picard, like, genuinely happy a lot. He's smiling a lot. He feels lighter in a lot of ways. Um, and then of course that's contrasted by the end of the episode where things get very intense and very real, but it's so rare that we get to see Picard happy with life. Um, yeah, you know, it's one, especially it, during a horribly tense situation that they're kind of thrown into. Well, cause like the only other times we really get to see it, it's, it's why I had captain's holiday on this list because we never get to see Picard just enjoying himself. And it's almost like a curse where, like, if he's going to have a good time, it can't be that good of a time, right? It's we got to have something bad happen. So if he's not going to be taken hostage by a Ferengi, then uh, this time we're going to create a natural disaster where the life of his newfound love is going to be jeopardized. Yeah, and it's kind of scary because the episode today is even more topical with the firestorms, like the fire situation we're seeing in Australia. Where people are being displaced, displaced lives are being lost and impacted, and this that this occurs right on the cusp, like you just said, of Picard finally letting his guard down with somebody and developing romantic feelings for someone, and immediately, immediately he has to send her into harm's way. Yeah, and I mean you can kind of see this coming um, just because of her interactions in the episode. Yeah, she's working with Riker a lot. She speaks up a lot when she has an opinion about things or something she feels is relevant. She brings it up. And because of that, she ends up assigned to this mission to, to lead up this idea that she came up with, right. To create these force fields to help delay the firestorm so they can save as many of the colonists as possible. And it's a very smart idea and it's a very brave thing to do. And when Picard tries to give her an out, even she's she knows that that's not the right thing to do and that makes it even stronger makes it even better that she has the same integrity that we expect out of picard yeah she never wavers in her duty or her responsibility 
And even when she's talking to Picard about the relationship as it's as it's developing, she even in her own way kind of comments on, I guess, shall we say, Picard's inexperience in the romantic realms on uh, on how to build those relationships. But she does it in a way that's very, I thought, mature and appropriate, especially for for the two people in that kind of position. Mm hmm. Well, and, you know, there's, there's some rockiness to it. Of course, there's the, the turbo lift moment right where the two of them are they're having normal conversation and then another crew officer comes in and he like completely changes right he turns forward he starts addressing nella as commander you know um and it just becomes completely business and it's very off-putting to her because well she she thinks that there's something going on between the two of them and she's right you know so she gets a little offended by that and he has to kind of apologize which is a big moment. I mean, how often do we see Picard apologize to anybody? Uh, for a scenario like this, I, I think this is the only time, actually. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so there's just a lot of emotion to it, right? And then at the end, you kind of get the fake-out death, which I'm not, I'm not really a fan of that, per se, um, just simply because it... Yeah, you cut to Picard in his quarters, and he goes to the, the the Reskin flute box, and he closes the lid like "I'm never playing this again" kind of thing. But you know, and then it's just moments later where they're like, "We found some survivors, and we're beaming them aboard," kind of thing. And you know, it's the time frame's a little off. It's hard to know how much time passed between the firestorms hitting and then the survivors being found. Um, we know it couldn't have been super short, right? It had to be some amount of time, but was it 20 minutes or was it four hours? You know, um, we don't really know, but of course some people die, people we don't really know and never even get the names of, um, you know, for the most part, you know, but she, she does make it. So that's at least a little different. Like Ray was, this is her first time watching us and she was like straight up like, oh, so they're going to kill her, (laughs) you know? Uh, so how did you feel about that? Like, did you think it would have been sh- like more sh- like narratively strong if they had 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 her sacrifice her life, or do you like the way it ended? Well, actually, the way you worded it originally about the fake out, it reminded me of the criticism that you and I shared for Discovery because Discovery did a lot of fake out deaths, and we ended up discussing how we don't like it because it takes away it it makes you believe that nobody's going to actually be harmed then. And it's the, op- it's the opposite of Game of Thrones, where Game of Thrones is so willy-nilly able to kill people that eventually the deaths stop mattering because you kind of expect everyone to die. But when you start doing the fake-out, it does kind of somewhat take away, because I, I, for a story point of view, I think if Commander Darren had passed away in the line of duty, I think that could have been used to even build up Picard's character even more about like another arc of the one time he lets his guard down and develop feelings for someone, you know, she dies. She's lost in the line of duty. And that's something you can build a lot of stories off of. Because now they're boxed into a corner where you know that she's alive, so but you know she's not staying on the ship. So it's like you could have either had a more dramatic ending with her with her loss or... This just this won't work. You're scared to put me into danger, so I just have to leave. Like that's yeah. I think more, I think that's a cop out almost. I'm with you, and it, like he doesn't have another love interest to my memory until Insurrection, you know, which is a few years later. Um, and so it's it's definitely conceivable that you know her death would have played into why he hasn't tried to engage in any other relationships, and maybe the near death is part of that too. And that could be explained as well. And it's maybe just a product of it being, you know, a show of its time where it's more episodic than not. And while some things carry over, most things don't. Um, but I'm with you. I, th- I think that it loses some of its weight that she's just like, okay, well, I'm just going to go somewhere else then, you know, and that's, she's never brought up again. That's it. She's gone. And um, it's a bit of a bummer. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge bummer, and I think it was just a massive wasted opportunity to 
to what they could have really done. They could have changed Picard's character. Not just, not changed him, but kind of added another reason for why he does have to be distant. Why captains, you know, it's been described in real life and on TV shows that the most senior officer is usually the most lonely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it could have helped solidify his closed-off privateness, right? Because, you know, Beverly mentions that when uh, when Nella's in the uh, in sickbay. You know, that he's just a very private person, you know? And this would have helped solidify how private of a person he really is. Yep, that's... And that's a good... This is a good segue into the chase because Picard is very private when it comes to emotions. But when it comes to his hobbies... That are not related to like human emotions, like archaeology. The dude is kind of out of control with excitement, and it's fun. It's a fun watching him, and the chase is all about archaeological, you know, adventures. It's got a little bit of like an Indiana Jones kind of theme to it, and even you know we could joke about archaeology with space travel. I mean, you're talking millions of worlds to investigate. I mean, that's millions of worlds with billions of sites that's a hell of an opportunity for an archaeologist well and what's great about this is it's one of the few threads that have, that have really carried through the whole show that he loves archaeology this is a part of his character that has been throughout the entire series and so it's not you know just randomly brought up and put back down which i think is really great um and it brings together a lot of corners of the universe that it at least that that you know are, are so separated like the, in the real world people joke about star trek aliens all look like us right why are they all like you know two feet and two arms and you know that kind of thing this episode actually goes in and explains the why and it's overlooked constantly you know of course the real world explanation is that tv shows are expensive and making everybody a humanoid is just cheaper and more practical but they have an in-universe explanation for why so many species evolved on separate worlds to look so similar. I love that. No, I, th- I love it too. And you are 100% correct and I couldn't say it any better. And the only thing I would add is, yeah, the other reason for a TV show to have aliens kind of resemble humans is so the, the audience watching can have a re- like, can relate to them and understand them and figure them out. You know, there's a game I played as a kid growing up called Star Control, and one of my favorite species is a species called Changesu, and they're literally living crystals. But they're they have no emotion and they don't really move and they're super they're super, super logical. Like even they take they would make Vulcans look arrogant. But <laughs> you you can't relate to them because they're rocks. You know what I mean? That you don't you you can't understand them. It's cool because it's a video game and a video game can do that. But when you're seeing aliens on screen, you want to be able to kind of, you know, relate to them and interact with them and understand them and kind of get an idea. So this show, this episode makes it canon for why bipedal species are the dominant in the Milky Way galaxy. And I thought it was very clever. Yeah, it's it's a really cool idea. It's a very neat concept. Uh, I like the way each species handles it. You know, like, the Klingons, just like, whatever, they don't really care. The Cardassians are insulted by it, that they could possibly be related to, to Klingons or whatever. But the Romulans, who are consistently portrayed to be highly intelligent, and, you know, that, like, when they do something, it's always very intellectually manipulative right their commander talks to picard and you know you can you can hear it that he wishes things could be different that maybe if we aren't so different that we could be something bigger together and that's kind of the whole point of the episode it's the whole it's kind of the whole point of the picard character is the idea of species and people of different backgrounds working together to do something bigger than themselves. Yeah, and it shows how, you know, even after meeting Professor Galen and Galen being killed, Picard takes his death very, very personally, obviously. But then he realizes that Galen was onto something huge. He quickly figures out that it has, you know, 
for Galen to be involved in this kind of galactic scale investigation that it's more than just finding rocks, basically. And every planet they go to and they find something else or they find the planet being destroyed, you know, the Klingons are involved. You've got Cardassians, you've got Romulans all involved in this. It's, it is a chase. It's basically a chase for the truth and watching them interact with each other and, you know, even the little quips between the Cardassians and the Klingons, you know, it's, oh, we're looking for a recipe for biscuits. And the, the Klingon, you know, is, if you want biscuits, you can have my mother's recipe. It's just watching the the species interact. I loved it, especially that line from the Romulan at the end of, you know, when they find out the truth that the one of the first species in the galaxy, which is what the chase is all about, one of the first species was like alone, essentially. And they knew that they were going to fade away, so they seeded a bunch of planets with basically amino acids and DNA. And they weren't trying to create life. They were just kind of trying to nudge it a certain direction. And the species looks bipedal. They're humanoid with two arms, two legs, facial features, nose, eyes, ears. Uh, and they, they actually very physically resemble, you know, changelings from DS9 because the actress is the lead changeling in DS9, which is Right, fun. how cool is that? I loved it. I loved it. She's a great actress, too. Yeah, that's such a fun little note. Um, I thought that was really cool, because even Ray pointed out, she goes, she looks just like one of the founders. It's <laughs> <was> like, hey! <laughs> she definitely is one of the founders later on. But it's fun, because the alien species is, like, they didn't want to be alone. And they didn't know what was going to happen to them, but if they can nudge evolution along... And I do love the relationship between the Romulans, like you said, and the Federation at the end, when they're having... You know, the Klingons and Cardassians are sniping at each other. And what the Cardassians say, you know, to think a Cardassian could have anything in common with a Klingon and she's, like, offended. She's upset. It turns my stomach. Yeah, it turns my stomach. <laughs> and the Romulan, you know, uh, it was just... He, I'm trying to find the exact quote because the quote was amazing. Uh, especially fi- watching, you know, by the way, we got to talk about how the Klingon tried to headbutt Data. And it did oh, not yeah, go well. well. Yes. Um, uh, are you talking even, about, like, at the... At, at the end, like when they're, uh, when yeah, the, the Romulans are it, leaving. Here's the quote. And when the Romulans talking to Picard, it would seem that we are not completely dissimilar after all in our hopes or in our fears. And Picard just kind of acknowledges. And then the Romulan says, then perhaps one day, I mean, it's a symbol, like you said, that even and by season six, season seven, they've already shown that there are certain Romulans that are not thrilled with the government and they're not thrilled with constant vigilance of warfare. And now this one Romulan captain, who knows, maybe he, maybe in the background lore, he goes on to be one of those dissidents of some kind uh, and, and wants to have a more stable relationship with this, with their aliens out there. And I love that line because, you know, I'm a big naive believer that we're better off working together than against each other. And Picard is like that too. There's... There's so many interesting things about the Romulans that really shows that they didn't get their due time in Star Trek um, because they were always put on the outside of things. They were very rarely the direct confrontation. And you look at the movies, there's there's 13 Star Trek films the Romulans are really only in one of them. They're only, and, yeah, they're only in Nemesis, essentially. Right? We, you know, there's, you know, like, that's really the only one that they're in. And there's, yes, there's some arguments to be had about the one Romulan in Star Trek V, right? But you know what I'm talking about. And they're barely in the original series. They're barely in Voyager, which makes sense, but they're barely in Voyager. And... When and they're not they're they're barely in Enterprise because we haven't really you know interacted with had we haven't had the Romulan War yet and then in DS Nine they're kept on the sidelines through most of the show and even most of the war they're always there as kind of an afterthought and it's a shame because this kind of interaction here shows just how complex they are they're so less there's they're, they're they're less one-dimensional. So many Star Trek alien species are very one-dimensional. You know, you've got 
you know, the, the Klingons are all about, you know, honor in battle, and the Cardassians are ruthless military, and the Vulcans are pure logic, right? And the Ferengi only care about profit, but the Romulans are so much more multifaceted that I think this point right here just hints at what that relationship could be. And just because I know that there's going to be a comment out there, when we're talking that the Romulans aren't involved in a lot of the movies, we're not talking 2009 Star Trek, okay? That that the Kelvin universe doesn't count. We're talking. We're talking. Well, I mean, it counts, but we're talking well, prime canon. I um, mean, I mean, yes. I, I mean, Nero. But the, the reason I I don't really count that is because it's it's a rogue element outside of his time who's just hell bent on on revenge. It has yeah. nothing to do with the fact that he's really Romulan, right? It's not says, the Romulan government. We stand, or the Romulan we stand apart. Yeah, we stand apart yeah. from the Empire. Exactly. Right. So, like, even the movie tells you, well, it's not really Romulan. <laughs> you know, like, you know, and so, like, even in Nemesis, it's barely that because who's running the whole thing? A human clone. You know, it's so rare that we actually got to go head to head with the Romulans. Well, and, and I would I make a very. Un- seen that. Yeah, I would make a very unpopular argument that the Romulans as a species are the most similar to humans as a species. When it comes to having a multi-varied interests, they're not just military and they're not just sneaky and they're not just cultural or religious. They're a little bit of everything. And that's kind of what the Federation is. The Federation's a little bit of everything. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. I, th- I think of all the alien species, I think you're right. I, I think it's a kind of an interesting thing to think about and something this episode only really touches on briefly, but... Would have been cool to see more of. Um, so one one interesting note, and I was reading about this on Memory Alpha because I wasn't sure, but um, I guess so. Ronald D. Moore helped write this one, uh, and fun fact: Jonathan Frakes directed it, which is great. Um, but they, he he's actually uh, Ronald D. Moore is quoted saying that. I'm paraphrasing here that the alien could be one of the preservers, which are mentioned in the original series and in some of the books. And I like this idea because if, if you follow the path for the books, there's this whole mirror universe trilogy about how the preservers created two universes and in one they tinkered and helped kind of a leading hand and in the other they didn't and what you ended up with is our universe was the former and the mirror universe was the latter right it's an interesting idea and i and and he was ronald d moore basically says that like while well, the quote is, uh, but this could be them and be internally consistent. The idea was that he wasn't making her a preserver, but he left it written in such a way where it's not that she couldn't be. And I think that's really cool. Little side note. Do you remember when uh, all the clips for season two Discovery were out there and everybody was kind of suggesting, hey, maybe the Red Angel's a preserver? Yes. No. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Yeah, some thought maybe it was an Iconian. I thought that would have been really cool to bring something like that in, to bring the preservers in and make those those the things that happened in those books, you know, more of a prime canon. I thought would have been cool, but I mean, that's clearly not the route they took. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, it is not. Well, I think we've but, uh, uh, we've kind of hammered these four episodes pretty good as we're continuing our prepping for Picard. Uh, but Derek, out of the four, what is your favorite? My favorite is Tapestry, definitely. It's uh, one of my top five TNG episodes across the board. So, yeah, and I'm still I the chases for me because it includes a lot of historical type discussion that is just my other personal hobby, and so it beats Tapestry just a little bit. But again, it's almost for me. It's like comparing, what do you prefer, Best of Both Worlds or Yesterday's Enterprise? And I'm like, ah. I don't know, 99 for one, 98 for the other, so. <laughs> All right, well, this has been uh, Derek and Greg for Red Shirts and Runabouts. We're part of the Heroes Podcast Network. You can find us, you can actually Google Red Shirts and Runabouts or Heroes Podcast, 
or just go to heroespodcast.com. It's a good way to find all of our other shows, all of our other uh, podcasts. Derek supports several of the podcasts, including Screen Heroes. Uh, we've got a new Star Wars podcast going on called Echo Station and a whole bunch more you can find there. But Derek, if somebody wants to reach out to you directly, how could they do so? So you can find me at the Star Trek Dude on Twitter or Facebook. Please come talk with me about Star Trek or just movies in general, video games. Uh, I've been gaming quite a bit recently, took some time off. So come talk to me out there. And you can find me on Twitter at the underscore bittersteel. Uh, I've been enjoying a lot of gaming as well. I think our gaming style is a little different. I saw you've been playing a lot of Fallout 76. I just couldn't get into it. But <laughs> Well, we can know, talk about that if you want. <laughs> we, that's a different podcast. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> track us down on Twitter. And we've also got our Red Shirts and Runabouts Facebook group where we talk about the show, games, and it's a very friendly environment, very easygoing and low-key. So just search Red Shirts and Runabouts and Facebook groups and you'll find the group and you can request to join. But otherwise, we're going to be back in a week to finish up prepping for Picard. Then we're going to do an episode or two on the remaining short treks. And then the Picard show itself will come out and you can better believe we're going to be talking about that. You know it. Until then, we'll talk to you all later. Red Shirts and Runabouts is part of the Heroes Podcast Network and is hosted by Gregory Bosco and me, Derek Mayer. The music is by Flying Killer Robots. Please follow us at RedShirtsPod on Twitter or at Heroes Podcasts on Facebook, Instagram, or HeroesPodcast.com. You can subscribe to our show on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spreaker, and pretty much any other podcast app. If you enjoy the show, please support us. We have a Patreon at Patreon.com slash HeroesPodcasts, and we also have a coffee, ko-fi.com slash HeroesPodcasts. We'll catch you next time. Live long and prosper.